Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be here with you all. Well, hopefully you have a, a handout. Um, it's there within your, your bulletins. And we didn't get to finish the handout from last time because we ran out of, of time. And so we're going to look at, at Ephesians chapter 5 again um, in the first couple verses. But uh, will you join me in, in prayer? Let's, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for just precious gifts that you bless our church with. We're, we're thankful for the Malik family, Lord, and the, the new addition that they have in Little Salem. Thankful that, um, that they're here and she's healthy and, and doing well. You're so good to us, Lord, and we praise you for that. We're thankful for the way in which you've healed sickness and blessed those that are in the, in, in the church in ways where um, you've just ministered so kindly to them, Lord, and we give you thanks for that. We pray, Lord, for Pastor Don as he's serving in the Philippines. As, um, I think nearly... 175 pastors coming from China and Japan and Philippines to be trained. I pray, Lord, that you would just work mightily through him. Bless the the pastors, minister to them. We pray, Lord, for those that are suffering from just that heinous sin in El Paso and Dayton, Lord. We we pray, Lord, that, that... you administer to, to, to families, loved ones that are hurting so badly right now. Those that have been injured from just pointless sin. We pray, Lord, that you would draw people unto yourself and cause us to find our security and our hope in you, Christ, who never changes. Who's always so perfect and so kind. We pray for us this morning as we meet together. Mold us more and more into your image. Enable us to to love in a manner in which you have loved us. We're thankful, Lord. We're thankful for your word. And we're thankful for you, Lord, as your Holy Spirit comes and causes your word to come alive in our hearts and speaks to each one of us, Lord, and molds us, conforms us, shapes us into your image. We pray that more and more of that would take place on this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. A reminder that after church today, there's a beach event that's taking place down at Doheny. And so if you'd like to join us, if you park in the main parking lot, just to the right is the concession stand, or just to the right of the concession stand is... Several tables with white easy ups. You can find us. It's a short walk. And so we'll be blessed to, to have you all there starting at three. Um, Ephesians chapter five, beginning in, in verse one. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. 
The love of God. Incredible love of God. When you meet with husbands and wives or people that are engaged to get married, as I'm doing counseling with them, one of the things that we'll talk about sometimes is how do you show your spouse that you love them? How do you show your spouse that you love them? And, and how do you feel most loved? And sometimes those things are, are very different. I, I heard of an elderly couple in which after 50-some years of marriage, the husband finally says to his wife, all of these years... When you're making sandwiches and you get to the end of, of, of the loaf, for 50-some years, you always give me the heel. Why do you always give me the heel? I mean, you always take the good bread. You always take it. You get the, the best sandwich, and you don't even ask me. I've never seen you even take it. Like, why do you always give me the heel? And he just had just come to a place of, I've died to myself for 50-some years, and I just want to know. Her response was, sweetheart, that's my favorite part. <laughs> Sometimes we show love in ways in which the other spouse feels radically different as far as the way they see things and how they feel most loved. But you also have people who will say, of course, I love you. I talked to my dad about this at one point where he said that his dad... Um, Never said, I love you. Never showed affection. Japanese culture, and, and if you would have asked him, well, and I think it was asked to him as far as, you've never said you, you love me. You never show affection. You never do any of those things. And the response was, of course I love you, or why would I not have worked all these years to provide for you? That was just... The response and the way in which he showed love was the way in which he worked to provide. And there's people who, whose response is frequently like, well, you know I love you. I'm still here, aren't I? Responses of, of, of how do I know that I love you? Well, I, you know, clean the house or I make meals or I, you know, serve you sometimes or I'm just here. The bottom line is for us as people, our best love is a very broken kind of love. We can say that we love somebody, but that love is going to be broken just so long as it's produced by man. Our best efforts, our best abilities. When we look and talk about the love of God, when we look in Scripture, we see that there's something radically different about the way in which God calls us to love. In Ephesians 5 and verse 1, he says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. Imitate him. And walk in love. As Christ also has loved us. Given himself for us. The manner in which we love, just as we looked at last week, the manner in which we forgive, or to forgive as he has forgiven us, we see again in, in, in 
the beginning of, of chapter 5, that we are to walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. There is a, a, a picture in Scripture of what love ought to look like. It's not a broken kind of love that's the best kind of love that we could produce. It's God's kind of love. The way in which he loves us, that is our model. That is what we are to imitate. A popular section of, of Scripture in reference to love is, is 1 Corinthians 13, where we read, Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Right? You, you, you see this. You see it in, in frames. You see it on plaques. You see, people speak this at, at weddings, and you see it in cards. This is what love is supposed to look like. But if we're to look into the life of Christ, we would see that he is all of those things. He always suffers long. He always is kind. He always does all of these things, and he never fails. It's always perfect. It's always the way that it's supposed to be. And so as we search these things, we can say, of course I love. Of course I love the church. Of course I love my brothers. Of course I love my sisters. Of course I love my spouse. Of course I love my folks. Of course I love my kids. Of course, I love. But your love may be a broken kind of love that you muster up, but far from what God's called you towards. You could say, well, that's just how my dad was, or that's how my mom was, or that's how that was the environment, or you think it's bad, you think I'm bad, you should see what I've seen before. And the bottom line is God's never called you to model your love after, for one another after somebody else. He's always called you to model the way in which we love one another based on what Christ has done for us, who he is. And so this, this time that we have this morning, I want to look at just a little bit of what it is as far as the manner in which God loves us, what it's like. But I do so with some trepidation because... I'm very aware that in taking on a subject of how does God love us, um, I, I, I can't even come close to describing how he loves us. I read in, in, in one commentary that it would be like trying to explain to an angel what, who man is by showing him a skeleton. You, 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 you can't see a personality. You can't see the way in which they behave. You can't describe someone based on what their skeleton looks like. And at the same time, I recognize that the love of God is something in which we can search through it, look at it in the pages of Scripture. We can understand it as far as in the text that's before us. But it's something radically different when you know him. When you experience him. 
when you see God's grace in your life and his love for you that never fails, it's a way in which um, it's far superior than a head knowledge. At the same time, Scripture, scripture is sufficient to, to teach us and to minister to us. And the Holy Spirit can use his word to show us what that love ought to look like. And yet I'll tell you, whatever comes forth this morning is going to be far less than the way in which God actually loves us. I was reading from Charles Spurgeon in one of his sermons that came on November 4th of 1866. A long time ago. But I printed it out for you because I think it's worth reading. It says, The love of God is that which fills our mortal existence with the brightness of heaven, makes us feast on immortal joys, even in this veil of tears. If some men were born and bred in mines, where they saw not the light of day, I could suppose that they would think themselves possibly better off than those who had lived above and who had walked abroad in the light. I can suppose them to be even conceited because they found themselves better able to find their way about in the gloomy caverns below than those would be whose eyes had been used to the light. More at home there in the gloomy bowels of the earth than the sons of light had, who had lived above. I can imagine they're getting much conceit to themselves because of their enjoying the darkness which is beneath. But still, what a miserable life would it be always to live in that gloom. And what a change to be taken suddenly and for the first time from the dark pit out into the light to look upon the green fields, the God of day, the flashing waves of the sea and the glories of the starry night. So I can conceive many of my hearers having lived so long in the dark world where there is no light that they have acquired the art of living in this gloom until they are wiser in their generation than the children of light. They can do a thousand things better than God's people can do them. And they, therefore, perhaps despise the Christian. But, oh, my friends, if you could be brought out into the world of love, the world of light, where God, the blessed Son of love, who floods the earth with peace and blessedness, could shine upon those darkened eyeballs of yours, if you could but know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, you would think that you had never lived before and would pity yourselves to think you could have spent so many years without knowing what true life means. May that come to pass with some tonight. Pray, Christian, pray for those who know not God, that he may be found of them. Ask for them that mighty grace may come and meet with them, and that they may also begin to understand what the love of God means. God's love is such that it'd be like, had you lived in darkness in the caves your entire life, you emerge out, and it is far better than anything you could have ever possibly imagined. And for Christians, we recognize that to be the case. The love of God. Now remember as we go through these things, that verse 1 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself up, given himself for us. So the first 
aspect of the love of God that I want to look at this morning is the undeserved love that we've been given. Romans 5, 5 says this, Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now the weight of those verses is so heavy because if we understand the depths of our sin, if you see yourself in a way in which God sees you as far as there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who does good. There's none who seeks after me. If you look in Scripture and you see that everybody's running in a direction opposite of him because they love darkness and they hate the light. If you see that they're dead, that you were dead in your sins and your trespasses, that you wanted nothing to do with the things of God, haters of God, bound to the wrath of God, and there is nothing to keep you from spending eternity in hell. To think that God looked upon us and his love poured out in our hearts, poured out by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. When we were without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. When we were without strength, That's what God's love is like. It doesn't look upon people and say, well, I would love you if you were just like this. We typically look at one another and say, well, how am I supposed to love a person like that? I mean, if they just treated me better, if, if they did the things that I've wanted them to do, that I've asked them to do, I would love them, but they don't. And so... I don't love them. It's not what God's called us towards. He says that we are to walk in love as Christ also has loved us. Which means that the way in which we look at others is we love them even when they don't deserve it at all. They haven't done anything to earn your love. They haven't done anything to merit it. And yet we still love because that's how we've been loved. Scarcely, it says, for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. I was at the beach and there was sharks that were seen in the water. A couple of them, huge ones. You could see them. So they came and said, don't go in the water at all. There's sharks right there. And we saw them. We saw them in the waves. We saw them out in the water. And <laughs> there's this, this guy that's just like, I don't care. And he goes out and starts swimming and going through the waves. Like, right where they were. Like, we had just seen them in that area. Like, sharks that there's no chance. I mean, like, it's just jaws, you know? Like, this is what we're talking about. And I, I, did, I just looked at that guy. I thought, like, you fool. Like, if you get attacked... I'm not going in. Like, you're on your own. Like, I'm not, I can take a chance with someone. Like, you, you, we all warned you. We did this. Like, and I, I, I thought that. I'm like, 
I am not going to be quick to run in there and try to help this guy because there are sharks that I just saw a couple minutes ago right where he's at. But think of how God is for us, right? The foolishness of us. The doing things that just make no sense at all. Far worse than that, hatred towards him. And godliness, and yet he loved us. He died for us. The kind of love that God has for us is such that is not based on whether we've earned it in any way. That is such good news to me. That's good news to you too. Have you ever felt like you had to earn someone's love? Have you ever felt like you couldn't approach God because you just haven't done enough? Look upon the text. God loves you even when you're still sinners. He died for you. There's people that think that you could lose your salvation and if you were truly saved, the Holy Spirit has taken residence in your life. He's made you a new creation in Christ. Be of good cheer, do you think? Do you think if he loved you when you were dead in your sins and trespasses, that he's going to stop loving you when you've been washed of all your sins and made a new creation in Christ and the Holy Spirit's been given to you? The love of our God is not based upon our performance, is not based upon what we've done, nor should our love for one another be based upon that. Well, that person would just talk to me. I mean, they make it really hard for me. I've reached out. I said hi a couple times, and I don't feel like they really responded very well. That's not how it's supposed to be. If my spouse would only do this or if they'd only do that, that's not how it's supposed to be. We are to love in a manner in which Christ has loved us. The next thing I want to look at is that it's an uninfluenced love. Deuteronomy 7, verse 7 and 8. Similar to what we just looked at, but it says this. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people. For you are the least of all peoples, but because the Lord loves you. It's uninfluenced. It wasn't that he looked upon Israel, and it was, it's not that he looks upon us as his people and says, I love you because you're just lovable. It's just simply that he loves us. He just simply loves us. It's uninfluenced. He's not waiting for us to do something that makes it so that we are loved. We can make a decision to love one another through God's grace and by his enabling to say, no, I will love that person. I will pray for that person. I will show kindness towards that person. I will be patient with that person. I won't envy that person. These are the things that I'm going to do, and I'm going to do it because God's called me to do that, not because they've done anything to influence that love. And that would be biblical, and that would be right. We serve a God that loves us in such a way that he called us out of darkness. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We had no ability to find our way out of that darkness. And yet God went 
and got us. He's not a God that helps those that can help themselves. He is a God that calls us out of darkness when we have no way to find the exit. And he goes and he gets us, draws us unto him, causes his light to shine such that we follow him. That's how God loved you. The next thing is God gives us his love for his glory. And this one's important as we look at this. Look at Psalm 79 verse 9. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name, and deliver us, and provide atonement for our sins, for your namesake. This is an awesome, awesome way in which he loves us. Think of this. He he loves us for his namesake. He provided forgiveness of your sins and my sins for his namesake. He finds joy in loving us. The One of the most incredible loving things that he could do for us is to make it so that you and I are able to behold him, to be able to see him. He, he doesn't love us in a way of, Okay, well, let me just tell you how awesome you are. It's not how he does it. He does it in such a way of, I love you so much that I am going to enable you to see how awesome I am. Because it's the best thing that we could ever have. It may sound peculiar to you, but I assure you, the day that you get to heaven and you see him in all of his glory you will see the kindness and the love of God that he has worked it out that for his namesake, not because we did anything, but for his namesake, for his glory, he has loved us, he has forgiven us so that we are able to go and behold him and to see him and enjoy him. And that happens now as well. The way in which he loves us is pointing us in such a way to enable us to see him. And that's my greatest goal from behind this pulpit as well. Because I prepare sermons. You could look at it and say, well, can you do something on marriage? Or can you do something on, on whatever the subject is that you would want me to do it on? But what is going to impact your marriages more? What is going to impact your relationships more? Me talking about, okay, here's all the things you need to do. Do these things. Do all these things and everything will be great. Or for you to come and see the way in which God loves you. The manner in which he loves you. It's not deserved. It's uninfluenced. You were wandering out in darkness and yet he called you at that point. So love like that. Behold him. See him. See what God's done. See what he's done for you. See the manner in which he loves you. Now imitate him. Behold him. See his glory. See the kindness of God that takes wretched sinners and saves us and molds us into his image and takes us who deserve nothing and just 
grace upon grace upon grace, unconditional love that comes upon you. And you just feast of it. You see who your Savior is. You see what he's like. And then he says, okay, now do that to this person who's not nearly as bad as you are. The gulf between you and this person that's difficult to love is nothing compared to the gulf between God and you. And yet he loves you like that. greatest ways that we can show love to our kids is to point them to the greatness of our Savior. Greatest way we can show love to our neighbor is to show them the glory of God, who he is. When you see him in his beauty, it changes your life. You don't do things out of duty. You don't do things out of mere obligation. You do things because you love him. You're in awe of him. You're amazed at him. And as a result, how do I please him? How do I serve him? How do I love my neighbor? How do I, God, get rid of the sin in my life. I don't want that anymore. I want to love my wife like this, or I want to love my husband like this, or I want to love my kids like this, or I want to love my friend like that, or I want to love the person that sits on the other side of the church like this. This is what I want it to look like because this is what you've done for me. Therefore, it should be extended to all of those who are around me. Because we see the greatness of his love. And that's the next thing. It's a great love. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. You notice that in scripture you'll hear this over and over again. But it's the greatness of his love. It's a great love. It's not just like, well, he, you know. He has like a few good thoughts about you. No, he is, there is a greatness about the love of God, a greatness about it that is such that if you search the entire universe for one way in which God could improve the way in which he loves you, you would be unable to find it. You could look at others and say, well, if they did this, I, I would feel way more loved if they would just... If they would just spend time with me, if they would just talk with me more, if they just turned the TV off, if they would, and so you could think of all the things as far as like, if they just did this, I would feel so much more loved. You will never, ever be able to do that to God. He loves you in a manner in which it is perfect, absolutely perfect, the greatness of his love. He has a giving love, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He is a love, he has a love that gives. That gives. It's not a love that keeps, it's a love that just, I will give you that which is best, and that which is best is his only begotten son. There is no good thing that he has withheld from you. In the same way, we ought to give. We ought to give. We ought to be those that are wanting to, to be a blessing and to serve and to minister in such a way of how can I give unto you? How can I be a blessing unto you? Hearts that desire to give, especially of the gospel. It's an everlasting love. Jeremiah 31 3. The Lord appeared to the, the Lord the Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I've loved you with an everlasting love. 
Therefore, with loving kindness, I've drawn you. The way in which God loves you is it has been from the very beginning an everlasting love. It didn't start because you did something. It started before all of that. It started before you were ever created. You'll hear people say, you know, that person's biggest problem is they have a low self-esteem. If they just had a high self-esteem, they would be so much healthier. Oh, I pray that's not the way that we think. I pray that, that, that you'd see yourself as a wretched sinner and that your esteem would come from the fact that whether you're good at anything, God loved you from everlasting. Chose you from before the foundations of the world. From the very beginning, that's how he loves you. If that does not bring worth to you, what does? He died for you. He knew you. He knew you when you were in your mother's womb. Your names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundations of the world. At the youth retreat, we talked about how there's not many wise, there's not many noble, right? There's not many that are mighty. He's taking the foolish things of this world and confound the wise. And so you start looking at yourself and you say, like, okay, like, well, I'm not the smartest in my class. Not really good at sports. Not the strongest. And I don't come from, like, a wealthy background. Like, there's people that have so much more than I do. I'm not really good at anything. Well, awesome. You're in such good company because that's how most every believer is. It's not that many that are wise or mighty or noble. But look what God's done with you. He has taken you, the foolish things of the world, to confound the wise. He's made it so that you can't glory in anything but him. The esteem that comes in that, he's loved us from everlasting. It's an unending love as well, Romans 8, 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor things present nor, nor, nor angels nor principalities nor things powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He has a love for you that's unending. Therefore, our love for one another ought to be unending. It's not like, well, I kind of fell out of love with you at some point. We don't get to do that. Our love is to be like his and it doesn't ever stop. We continue to love. We serve a God who loves us by serving us. John 13. Now remember this. He's, he's about to go to the cross. It was the night before. He's betrayed. That night in which he's betrayed. This is what we see. John 13, 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. The creator of this, of this universe took a towel 
and water in a basin and went and washed the disciples' feet. We think that there's things that are beneath us, and yet the creator of the universe serves like that. He serves. Our love is to be a serving love. We serve one another. And we do it with humility, just as Christ has done for us. God's love is also an all-knowing and omnipresent love. Look at Psalm 139, verse 16. Your eyes saw my substance, being yet unformed. And in your book there all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they'd be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. Think of how the psalmist is writing this. Before I was ever created, you you knew everything about me, and your thoughts towards me are great. They're great. Do you want to feel love this morning? Look at that. When you were yet unformed, you're there in your mother's womb. At that time, God loved you. In his book, they were all written. The days were fashioned for me. God knew everything that you were going to go through. Every detail of your life. Oh, how great the sum of his thoughts. If I were to count them, it's more than the number of the sand. The way he thinks towards us. And then the psalmist says, and yet when I awake, when I wake up in the morning, I'm still with you. He still loves us like that. He doesn't ever leave us. He doesn't ever forsake us. He's always there. He's always with us. And he knows everything about us. The great God we serve. So how do we respond to this? Ask yourself as we close with these things, have you, do you pray like this? Do you think like this? A response to God's love. Psalm 63. A psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah says this. Oh God, you're my God. Early will I seek you. My soul <clears throat> thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. You get the idea? In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. I just want you. I'll spend time with you. So I've looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I'll lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I'll meditate on you in the night watches. Because you've been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. There's this closeness to him in which is just precious how the psalmist just longs to spend time with the one who loves him so perfectly. I just want time with him. If we thought like this, our lives would be so radically changed. If you're on a place of just kind of having some thoughts about the way in which he loves you. 
He's saying, because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. That's why I bless you. Sing with all that I have towards you. Not only that, but when I'm on my bed, I'm just going to be thinking about you. I pray that for my kids when I tuck them in at night. Lord, help them as they go to bed just to have great thoughts about you. There's great thoughts about you. So badly do I want them just to lay there and just think of how amazing their God is. <laughs> but for us too. Rejoicing there, safe in the shadow of his wings and so close to him that if there ever comes a time where we're going to trip, his right hand just upholds us. Holds us up. And we're to love one another. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God for God's love. God is love. We are to love one another. Imitate him. And that's our text. Therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. As Christ also loved us and has given himself for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. We're about to partake in communion. And when this describes the offering, Christ going to the cross, the sacrifice to God, it tells us here that it was a sweet-smelling aroma. If you take a little perfume, costly perfume, and your wife puts a little bit on, just dabs herself, you know, just using a little bit, it can fill a room. The smell of it, as far as just the beauty of it all, just can fill a room. The offering, Christ upon the cross, was a sweet-smelling aroma. When you look at the sacrifices in the Old Testament, it talks about these five particular sacrifices. And the first three are dealing with, it says specifically that they are a sweet-smelling aroma. But the sin offering and the guilt offering, it does not say that. But with Christ... There upon the cross, here in our text, it says, when he died, it was a sweet-smelling aroma. Why? Because he conquered sin and death. He removed guilt from us. Fully God, fully man, lived perfectly without sin. Spotless lamb, white as snow, And he died on the cross and was acceptable to the Father. Therefore, it was a sweet-smelling aroma to God. Sweet-smelling aroma is the fact that our Savior died on that cross and that sacrifice was fully sufficient to save you and I for all eternity. And it was a sweet-smelling aroma to the Father. The sacrifice was 
complete, it's perfect. And that's the kind of love in which Christ had for us. To lay down his life for us. A sweet smelling aroma. As we understand this, the love of God, that sweet smelling aroma filters down upon us to where by God's grace, I pray that we would be a sweet smelling aroma to those that are around us. They'd hear the gospel from us. They'd see Christ in us. They'd see the way in which we love one another. And the result would be a sweet-smelling aroma because of who our Savior is. It's perfect. It's accomplished everything for us. Sacrifice is full and complete to where you and I could be without sin. Loved us from before the foundations of the world. Will love us to the very end. Loves us perfectly. And then he just says, now imitate me. May that be our goal. By God's grace to imitate him. But may we just feast upon the way in which our God loves us. That sweet smelling aroma and the sacrifice of his son. That we would come to this table with incredible thanksgiving, remembering him till he returns. His body broken for us. His blood shed for us for the remission of sins. Think of how he loves us. Can it be improved in any way? You think when God created this universe, did he know that man was going to fall in the garden? Of course he did. He didn't put Adam and Eve in the garden saying, like, oh, I hope they don't eat of that tree. I'll give them every tree. As long as they don't eat from that one, we're good. It wasn't that God looked upon that and said, oh, why would you eat that? I gave you all of them. He knew exactly what was going to happen. And yet he still created this earth. He still created the universe. When they sinned, and he said, Adam, where are you? It wasn't that he didn't know where they were. He knew exactly where they were. Yet he wanted that confession to come. Why are you covering yourself with fig leaves? Who told you you were naked? Let me take some animals, and I'm going to kill them. Take the tunics, I'm going to put them on you. Shedding of blood for the remission of sins. Accepted Abel's sacrifice of an animal, but did not accept Cain's sacrifice of fruits. Established a whole system of animals that would be sacrificed, blood that would be shed. Told you exactly how it was to take place. Lamb without spot or blemish, so that John the Baptist would look upon Christ and say, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. God created a universe by his sovereign hand in which he knew all of these things would take place so that we would sit here and then spend all eternity looking upon the greatness of our God and say, what an amazing kind of love that he would become 
man, the least of all men, that he would be tempted in all ways and yet without sin, and that the God of this universe would give his son, and his son would go to the cross, and he would be spit upon, and his beard would be plucked out, and a crown of thorns would be pounded on his head, and he'd be whipped with a cat of nine tails 39 times, and he would be mocked and ridiculed and pierced. And he'd hang there. And he'd say something like, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. If you ever, ever doubt the love of God, you remember that he created the very nerve endings that would be pierced to show you the full extent of his love for you. May we get his love, understand his love, and then live it out towards others, but worship him for all that he has done for us. So as we partake in communion, may we do so in a worthy manner. If you're an unbeliever, communion is not for you this morning, unless you come to faith in Christ first. It's for believers. May we confess sin and come in a worthy manner and partake and remember him until he returns. Amen? Um, Let's pray together. Lord God, I pray that you would just bless this time of communion. May we worship you with all that is within us, and, and, and may we think of the greatness of your love. Lord, if we have loved poorly, by your grace, Lord, I pray that there be such joy and repentance such joy in making changes, such joy in imitating our Savior. You've shown us how to live. You've shown us how to love. May you just enable us towards that. Give us sweet humility, kindness, patience. May our love for one another be unending. I pray that as we partake in communion, Lord, that we would give credible thanks for what you've done for us. You've shown us the extent of your love for us, the greatness of your love for us, and that you laid down your life for us. And may it just cause us to be so thankful this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.